0: This is the Voicing Creativity Podcast, Voicing Creative Research. I'm Shannon Vickers, Professor in the Faculty of Arts at the University of Winnipeg, where I teach somatic approaches to voice and performance, and engage in interdisciplinary, arts-based research. This first season of the Voicing Creativity Podcast focuses on voicing creative research. Each episode showcases the prolific and inspiring work of some of Canada's leaders across the humanities highlighting their creativity in research, pedagogy, and artistic practice. Today's episode features Lisa Karen Cox. Lisa Karen Cox is an assistant professor of acting at Toronto Metropolitan University's School of Performance, as well as a celebrated professional theatre artist and collaborator. Lisa's many creative publications include international performances on the world stage with Royal Shakespeare Company, as well as national performances with the Stratford Festival of Canada, Canada's National Arts Centre, Canadian Stage, Why Not, and Nightwood Theatres, Her many accomplishments in performance-based creative work also include her skilled engagement in interdisciplinary creative work as a director, choreographer, playwright, and dramaturge for numerous theatrical productions. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your time and expertise with us, Lisa. It's a privilege to have the opportunity to connect with you, so thank you so much for being here on the podcast. It's absolutely my pleasure
1: to be here with you.
0: I love it. I'm so glad we've had a chance to meet uh,
1: virtually face-to-face. So hilarious that at this particular point in history <laughs> that most of our meetings are virtual or on if you're kicking it old school are on the phone <laughs> um, as opposed to face-to-face meetings. But uh, it's, it's led to some pretty beautiful relationships, I have to say, for me at least. Yeah.
0: I agree. Have you been using the phone? Do you find that that's been a thing lately?
1: I have because um, about midway through the pandemic, people became tired of Zoom. (laughs) Mm. There was Zoom fatigue that set in. So when given the option um, to do a phone call, many people would... Say, yes, please. And I've actually been on walks with people. (laughs) Mm. We're we're both on a hands-free device, but we're both walking through space, engaging the body, and also in conversation, which is also so great and lovely. Because people speak differently, I find, when you're in motion. Absolutely. Maybe I'm biased because I'm a movement teacher. (laughs) But being in motion together seems to create a different level of intimacy versus sitting in a frame, trying to stay within a box um, and behaving, quote unquote, professionally, whatever that means to people. You can just be a little bit more free and more yourself as you go for a stroll in space. Even if you're just pacing in your room. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I love, I actually love being on the phone as well. I love that you mentioned that it's uh, sort of movement based and an opportunity to be authentic and to, mm-hmm. you know, the mind and the body are so connected. Um, we we really believe this in theater performance, but I find, you know, there's often a sort of split people's uh, mm. perceptions of, you know, where does knowledge live and you're a movement teacher. And so I wondered if you could share that embodied ex- expertise that you have that, in fact, the mind and the body aren't split and that it's great when we can think and move at the same time. So please speak more to that,
1: please. <laughs> I mean, I think the body is smarter. <laughs> yes. I'll, just be, I'll just be direct about it. I feel um for me at least, when we talk about things like intuition um and instinct those for me are things that come from the body and they are all based in knowledge and experience. I had a beautiful conversation with Andy Jordan and another one with Boyd about archives. Mm -hmm. And prior to those conversations, I hadn't really thought about archives, but while talking with them, for me, our bodies are archives. Are, yes. Right, our yes. archives are of our experiences, but also our ancestors as well. So, the body mm. itself, as an archive, means that there's so much knowledge contained within the body that if you allow the body to express on its own, it's going to have a, a level of authenticity and truth that you just cannot get if you're coming from the prefrontal cortex, <laughs> you know, that section of the brain that is logic, logic yeah. based. Um, because in, in some ways that's a filter. That is a, a filter that is, is shaping it for your audience in a specific way, as opposed to being your authentic self. Those are two different things. So, um, I feel like oh, my poor students would, would, would say that that's a large portion of the work I do with the students, if not all of the work I do with the students is opening up the body, calming mm-hmm. down that prefrontal cortex. So you yeah. can allow the body to express and not feel, ideally, remove the barriers that evoke shame or any of those negative feelings just allowing yourself to be with no ego like no big ego either it's just like this is me that's the end of the statement and that's okay and beautiful yeah because we're all beautiful we are yeah but students have a hard time with that i think you know um I have some students who are very resistant to the idea. And when I say beautiful, I don't mean like physical beauty. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. But I'm talking about your spirit is beautiful. I have, I have students who are very resistant to the idea that they are beautiful. <laughs> Which always takes my breath away a little bit. <laughs> a lot of it. But... Um, Because I think to do the work of a performer and as a creative being in general, part of you really has to believe that your spirit is beautiful. Your spirit deserves space. Your spirit deserves to express and deserves to be heard.
0: Yes. Do you find that you're essentially facilitating and guiding people back to themselves to reclaim a lost connection to spirit, to felt sensation, to connecting to the body as a source of wisdom and
1: knowledge? A hundred percent. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> if I take t- this class? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> I mean, there's not very much space in contemporary Canadian society to really do that, And it is a practice. It is a practice that we have to undertake, I think, to remain open and in our personal, authentic beauty, because there's so much related to Canadian culture, and I would say probably most cultures on Turtle Island, at least, that are about masking, that are about covering, mm-hmm. that are about filtering, um, but if you're constantly doing that, that is your practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> filter to cover. Um, and I, for me, the most beautiful things to see in performance are people being themselves. I feel like that's why I love seeing older performers, regardless of experience, just older performers, because they I don't know, over time or they've just gotten to a point of exhaustion, are just like, "This is me." Yeah boom.
0: So beautiful.
1: So gorgeous. Um, and I really, really believe a, that we all have that in us. Um, and that our, our students and people who are striving to be performers have that in them. And if we can pull that out sooner or I can't even pull it out, that's, or just open doors <laughs> so that it can come out. Um, We'll we'll see change in performance as an industry. I think. Oh yes, <laughs> big lofty goals that Lisa has. But the more authentic a diverse pool of people can be in performance, will greatly shift and change what we see in our performance making processes, and in our products as well. Because it's no longer about um, gai- gaining approval from other people. It's no longer about pleasing other people. It's about this is who I am and I'd like to share it with you.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything more interesting than that. You know, when people are aligning spirit, body, Mm -hmm. voice, expression, authentically, nothing is more (laughs) riveting than that, I find.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also that you know, I have a student who remarked that you know sometimes you get this voice, and I'm like, oh, I'm in the voice right now <laughs> when I'm teaching. So it 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 can be um um quite almost voluptuous or smooth or velvety, and and I I don't want to give off the impression that authentic selves are necessarily smooth or velvety or voluptuous authentic selves are a variety of things oh yeah <laughs> you know, diversity and variety of things but i do think at least for me in my teaching practice um creating a soft landing for that authentic self to come out is important mm. and when people talk about safe spaces versus brave spaces you know, firstly, I don't believe in safe spaces. I think safe spaces only exist for people in dominant culture. Safe spaces, as a Black woman, because this is an audio, I am a Black woman. (laughs) Um, Safe spaces, spaces, I don't feel like they necessarily even exist for me, or are so few and far between. Um, So I believe in brave spaces. And the way for me to create a brave safe space is to ensure that there's some kind of soft landing. It doesn't mean I'm not honest with people. I engage in a lot of radical candor, <laughs> actually. I'm quite an honest and direct person. Um, but it, it is all fueled by love. Oh, I love that. It's fueled by love, yeah.
0: What does a soft landing look like then in the classroom or in uh, mm. studio for you?
1: For me... Um, it's being patient because <laughs> creating, you know, some people will connect physically because of their relationship with movement quite quickly, and other people it might take three years or more. and And creating space for those different possibilities becomes really important. Um, and not, it's a it's a tricky balance because. I don't want to force people because then they're going to come out with force, which is not necessarily what I'm looking for either. Um, but gently encouraging, encouraging and expanding the world view so that folks don't real folks realize that they are not alone. There's, <clears throat> there's community on the other side. <laughs> so you don't have to pretend to be, something other than you are we will find community either with me or or with your peers or i will connect you with people but we will accept and we will find community for your authentic self
0: i love that i'm thinking back to that archive body is archive and you know if if folks are bringing their body as an archive and they're you know reclaiming Movement and reclaiming authenticity and breath and free yeah. expression through that archive, things are bound to start mm-hmm. to come up. So to have that uh, sense that that as things come up, I have a community there that is going to support, witness, yeah. hold, hold this moment. Totally. Um, that's that's beautiful. So it sounds like you're you have uh, the sense of. Uh, that that you as the facilitator is creating you as the facilitator are I should say creating that uh, relationship that relational container, but also then the mm-hmm. classroom, and then I love that you're bringing it out to the community, and perhaps even a larger community. Are you thinking along these lines of the micro and then the macro when you're teaching?
1: Yeah, I mean. I'm, I'm still a working artist. <laughs> so I feel like I'm constantly thinking about what's happening in the theater ecology and, and now I would say even broader in performance ecology at all times when I'm teaching. I love bringing in real live examples, real humans for them to be in conversation with. If, if there's a student um, who has a particular History or heritage or curiosity, I am happy to be a connector to oh, so connect great. them with folks in that adjacent or exact same curiosity, heritage, experience, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I actually think that's really important. Um, a, it gives them a, students a greater understanding of why we're doing the pedagogy we're doing mm-hmm. it allows them to be in conversation with me as a colleague
0: Love as that. opposed
1: to a yeah. top-down hierarchy-based um, relationship which I think is so present in our educational system I'm originally an, an elementary school teacher um, so it's definitely present as <laughs> in the elementary school level with reason you know, safety <laughs> um, but but for me, that that hierarchy should really be flattening out in university, so that mm-hmm. we're colleagues as much as possible. Um, because it's also great for members of the professional community to be in conversation with aspiring professionals. Mm-hmm. There's so much for us to learn from from the student as well what oh, they're yes. experiencing, what their experiences are, what their hopes are for the work, what they see in the work of the past and of the present. I just think there's so much. The I mean the real roots for me of education are that that one-on-one relationship where both people were learning from each other. I might be a mm-hmm. subject matter ex, uh, expert on math just taking it outside of performance but that student is sharing with me new perspectives new ways of being that I wouldn't have access to if I was only speaking to my own colleagues and peers so it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship as opposed to like banking system like what what Paulo Freire would refer to as the banking system of education Mm -hmm. where I'm inputting knowledge into you. It's actually an exchange at all times. I'm learning more, you're questioning. Even when I'm the subject matter expert, the student is questioning me, which deepens my understanding of the subject. Mm -hmm. because I have to dig deep to really understand it and be able to articulate it in a way that is clear to the student, or it might make me go, oh my goodness, you are right, and I should be taking a different direction, which I've had happen. (laughs) (laughs) And It's the students in third year (laughs) who ask really pointed, brilliant questions that really make me reflect upon my pedagogy and the curriculum and Sometimes I take a really hard turn and change based on those questions. It's great.
0: You sound like a really responsive, reflexive uh, educator who's committed to kind of, um, you know, pedagogy that happens between people in that space in between. Did you have teachers like this in your own life that supported this Mm -hmm this kind of education or is this something that you came to through your own talents and your own imagination (laughs)
1: and your own your own heart your open heart I had some pretty incredible teachers I mean I think I feel like most people I've, I've had some that I didn't jive with and I've also had some really really lovely humans that weren't explicitly Hmm. that weren't explicit in how they teach, because I didn't go to theater school. <laughs> it's like my tagline, Lisa Karen Cox, didn't hashtag didn't go to theater school. Boom. Um, but um, I have absorbed how they taught me and how they were in dialogue with me. I would say, am I allowed to say people's names? Feel free if you wish. Yeah, oh. you know, we
0: can we can link to anything in the okay. show notes. So we can <laughs> sh- do all the shout outs. We will okay. link to people's websites. <laughs>
1: awesome. 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 Please. I have the joy of being. Okay. I'm gonna get a little bit of story time. So please Lisa, Lisa Cox graduates from uh, interdisciplinary studies from Concordia, arrives in Toronto. Wants to do musical theater because I just want to sing and dance, everybody. And and go to drop off my resume at Canadian Stage. Run into Roy Lewis, um, who taught me in one of the two theater classes I took at Concordia University. Mm. And Roy's like, What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, I'm dropping off my headshot and resume. And he's like, Okay, can I, can I, do you, do you mind if I take a copy of it? And I said, Why? And he's like, Stratford is hiring and is looking to diversify who um, is in their apprentice program. And I said, Sure, not really thinking much of it. I have no experience with Shakespeare at the time and was like, I just need to work. So, no problem. Uh, flash forward, get a call from Stratford and and they literally have to say, okay, go on your shelf. This is how little experience I had. They had to say, go on your shelf. You have a complete works of the canon. I was like, I don't know what the canon is. They're like, this is Shakespeare. Do you have a complete works? And luckily my mom had given me one. And so I t- took it off the shelf. And they're like, okay, go to the table of contents, find this play. I'm like, okay. And they're like, go to this line. I'm like, I don't know what that means. They're like, okay, in the margins, you will see little numbers that tells you the line number. And they had to literally tell me, memorize from here to here. Like, No experience whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, and I end up at the Stratford Festival as their apprentice (laughs) program. Congratulations. (laughs) Through the beauty of like Roy Lewis as 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 a beautiful connector. And then I had the joy of studying with David Latham, Jane Gooderham for two years. And Um, Because it wasn't—it's not theater school, so I was in private classes with them, and large group like company warm-ups. But their way of of being and of teaching is all what we would what I would now call differentiated education. Mm. It is all about the individual Mm -hmm. and adjusting to the individual. There's this beautiful book called. The Carpenter and the Gardener, which is actually about parenting, but I think is 100% applicable to education, particularly in the type of work we do as performers. And it just speaks to the idea that for many generations, recent generations, parenting was about being a carpenter. Like, I'm going to force you into being a certain thing and fitting you into the mold. It's a square, so you got to be a square. Mm but the person is was advocating quite beautifully and poetically about actually being a gardener <laughs> hmm. instead which means the fl- like if you have a seed the seed is the seed what are you going to mix into the earth how much water are you going to give how much sunlight that's what gardening is mm-hmm. you're adjusting the evi- environment actually so that you can get the deepest fullest growth possible out mm-hmm. of that seed mm-hmm. and so that and and becoming a parent as well I f- think is what has shaped my pedagogical approaches because I'm, I'm really vested and not always successful but really vested in being a gardener as much as possible really trying to reflect and think about what does the seed need and how can I provide that? And if I can't provide it, cause I'm, you know, I'm one human, who can I put them in contact with so that that seed can grow? Oh, I love that.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. You're doing that with your children and also with your yeah. students, connecting them up with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the right connections to foster growth.
1: I really believe in community. <laughs> like I just deeply believe in community and I think it's, it's best for the seed. <laughs> but I also think it's really um, good for us as well as parents and, and educators to remember that it's a community interacting with this seed so that we're not responsible as individuals solely for the development. Um, it's all of us working together to to really make sure the environment is the best it can be for that particular human Mm -hmm. it's just too much stress i think we put so much stress and pressure on educators and teachers as if they are individually the only person um which is unfair and not real and the same thing for parenting it's I don't think we were meant to raise children on our own. That's why the pandemic was so hard. Yes. (laughs) People with small children. It's like you are not meant to be alone in a building with two or more or even one small human. It is, we are social creatures. So Mm -hmm. how do we really encourage that kind of sense of community, relationality in all that we do? everything, Mm -hmm. everything that we do, (laughs) as much as possible. I'm thinking
0: about this interdependence um, that we could reclaim and this this, um, sense that we are part of a community that is interdependent. I think that's where Mm -hmm. we come from. And I'm also thinking now about this, uh, some of the brilliant stuff that you shared earlier about, you know, reclaiming. Um, the, the body archive oh um, and you know it seems like these are parallel tracks you know to connect outward with community yeah. to connect inward with our, our experience mm-hmm. our body our knowledge our lived experience totally. and then also intergenerationally
1: yeah absolutely I think of it a lot like a tree to be honest <laughs> which you know I, I do image. really I, I do love gardening I'm not going to lie <laughs> Like actual gardening, like in the garden. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But for me, that first piece is like, what are my roots? You Mm -hmm. know, the roots of a tree, but also like my personal roots. Who are my ancestors? What is the archive? And then it comes up into the trunk and that creates the self. Can I be true to that? Can I think the sap that is running through the trunk of this tree is beautiful and necessary and it's a life force and it's beautiful to share that life's force out into my branches and out but it's mm-hmm. about out <laughs> and then my branches are going to be creating some beautiful shade and a place for a home for another being potentially and I'm going to clean some air while I'm here with the leaves <laughs> like mm-hmm. so it is all connected it is all the ancestors and being rooted in ourselves and reaching out it's all of those things all of the time and i feel like in some ways as an educator as a movement person i go which one do we need to talk about in this moment with this human Mm -hmm. and i might turn around and say something different to the human next to you (laughs) because that is what they need in this moment
0: yeah. And as the tree, too, oh. you know, you inspire with your beauty. So. <laughs> tree, yeah, you know, right. You do. I, yeah. I um, took a few notes at some of the events that I attended that you um, were a panelist on uh, and we had not met at that time. It was sort of just as the p- pandemic was newish although it felt like it had gone on forever at that time right Um, and I was you know reaching (laughs) for inspiration and community through the internet as many of us were in our field especially with theaters being shut down and so I attended um, in September of 2020 the volcano theater webinar that you were a part of where do we go from here fostering resilience and justice in the performing arts Mm. and I just loved attending that And um, then I also subsequently attended your CATR panel presentation um, and I took notes. Mm. (laughs) Um, I was so, so inspired by what you were saying. And I thought, I hope I get a chance to meet Lisa Karen Cox someday. Um, And so if I may, I'll just sort of highlight some of the things that I found really inspiring and salient from what you shared. Um, The first was on artistic practice. You said, Who we are as humans is actually the best, the best thing you can do, as opposed to some model of something else that we're, we're thrown at as what we should be. Forget about it. Be yourself. It's more interesting. And then you went on to say that in terms of the importance of the artistic voice, that's the basis of being an artist, being able to express yourself, the fullest version of yourself. You've already spoken to this so beautifully. I just wondered if you could, or felt that there was anything more to add about this.
1: Oh, I mean, the artistic voice. Is something every single human has. <laughs> oh, I can I can already feel some of my colleagues going. Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I am. I am sure. And I and I think part of this comes from me being an elementary school teacher, and I still consider myself an elementary school teacher um, because that's my training and where I spent over a decade. And holy mamas, did those students teach me a lot about being a performer? They are not afraid mm-hmm. to be their authentic selves, especially kid, like the primary years. I mean, all the way up into grade, I would say around grade four or five are like, wow, they are this just boom. This is me. This is it. This is it, Miss Cox. This is who I am. And as adults, we accept them more willingly, I find, than mm-hmm. we do each other as adults. It's a tragedy. Which is a bit sad. Yeah, because what would happen in this world if we actually allowed people or created space for people to continue to be their authentic selves in their body, in their vocal production, in how they frame things, in all of it? And and that, again, doesn't mean there's not conflict. There of course will be conflict, but you get to actually talk to each other <laughs> and be in dialogue with each other. I'm not saying everybody needs to like each other either, but you all get to just be yourselves, be real. Um, just imagine the art that would be created. Just imagine mm. the things that would be shared if that's, that was the starting place of the work for everybody Mm -hmm. in the room. And that would also require us to really um, start to break down the hierarchies that are embedded in the work that we do, whether educational work or in the rehearsal hall as well, recognizing that everyone in the room has an expertise and therefore has an equal standing in the room. And what they bring to the work. what, And that expertise can be them. <laughs> you you are an expert in you. I say that um, to my students quite a bit. I'm like, you are an expert in you. So if today your movement practice is lying on the ground because that's what you think you need, then that's what you should do. Come into the room. That's
0: very healthy. Lie down. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. That's you, especially in these, yeah, especially in these long 12 hour yeah. days that go on for but weeks, on for weeks yeah. especially when you're in a pandemic or an endemic, especially if maybe you had a cold that day, maybe you just had a, 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 challenging conversation. So for five minutes, you actually need to lie down. I'm down. Sometimes I have literally lied down on the floor with people be like, is this what, is this what you need today? Okay. We're cool, that's cool. So let me know if you need something else, if you want me to interact with you, if you don't want me to. it's all good. This is your movement practice today. This is you authentically listening to your body. I'm so here for it cool and and I, I think there's sometimes concern as educators that there are students that will take advantage of that, and you know i'm I'm new. I'm new at this level, but student, I have not had that experience <laughs> where anyone takes advantage of that and just doesn't do anything ever. I've had people with broken feet. I've had scoliosis. I've had, you know, there's folks who are in the space who have actually, all of them have needs, regardless of identified or unidentified, labeled or unlabeled, all of them have needs. And it's actually uh, a gift and a building of relationship that I've experienced by allowing them or allowing them by making the space for their needs. Mm -hmm. And then in return, they actually are more committed to the work because they've actually had the space to reflect on it. I've treated them like a colleague. And so then take on that Mm. accountability and responsibility personally to engage in the work. It's interesting, like it's almost like the release of control has allowed the student to step into the work more deeply, Uh, which is I think ultimately what we want because the reality of the profession is that they will have to self-monitor. They will need to self-identify what their needs are. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean they will always get it right in class. But that's why they're in class. They're literally there to have space to get it wrong. So it's okay. And and maybe it's, oh, I shouldn't have laid down for five minutes, actually. It's making me more emotional. Cool. Okay, we've learned that now. So let's take that learning forward with us. Or the flip of it is, maybe I should have lied down (laughs) for five minutes. Okay, we know that now. Let's take that learning forward with us. But you, we're, we're also in a profession that it, in a lot of ways, you can't learn these things intellectually. Your body has mm-hmm. to experience it. You have yes. to build the knowledge of the body.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. And you're giving them that opportunity. Yeah. You're allowing space for that opportunity to have that experiential yeah. knowledge moment that they can then recall. Exactly. And, and remember yes. with their body yeah. at a future point 100%. I mean I think you're transforming the profession ah. through, through your pedagogy and supporting agency yes. you know you're supporting oh, yeah. agency in students while they're in their theatre training mm-hmm. how amazing is that so that in the future young folks yeah. as they're in the profession can remember I have choices yes. I have choices I don't have to just say yes mm-hmm. to everything that's asked and actually if I do something that is in line with how I feel yeah. what what's going to happen Absolutely. will everything stop yeah. will, what is the worst case scenario maybe I'll f- give myself what I yeah. need for five minutes
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and 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 you know what my work might actually be better yeah if I t- if I go to the stage management team and say I need five minutes and they go okay and then I take five minutes. My work is actually better when I come back. How like How is this sad? So this is really good. This is really amazing, yeah. actually. Um, while keeping the idea of community in mind. Mm-hmm. In that, like, let's say I need more than five minutes. Or even five minutes. But I know so-and-so really needs us to move on. Maybe it's a hard scene that we're working on for that person. So then it is about weighing what are my needs, what are the needs of the room, and then going and then making a decision with all of that knowledge. So it's thinking about the community and thinking about what your personal needs are and how you can create space for both of those things whenever possible. Mm, That's beautiful. More like third year. But (laughs) But that that's kind of the arc that I'm aiming for in my pedagogy is like first, first year, let's just like, what do you need? (laughs) Just recognize what's happening for you in your body, in your archive. And then in second year, like, can you be in relationship with one scene partner, maybe two like, and really very minimal amounts of text. What is your body wanting to share with these other beings in space, just based on their placement in the room, just based on the one line of text you're allowed to repeat over and over and over again. Okay, great. Now, third year, how do we extend that into a larger group of people, AKA a community? Um, And, And balance both of those things. Oh, I'm having an impulse to X. Does that impulse support the community? Does that impulse support what your personal need is, not want, but need? <laughs> can you distinguish mm. between a need versus a want versus what the community needs? Which gets complicated and nebulous, and it's very gray, so it can be really hard for students. <laughs> and it's not only hard for students, it's hard for us still as practicing professionals because we're all I think we're all constantly trying to learn how to balance those three things better that's like a life journey Mm -hmm. so really we're just introducing that life journey in in our pedagogy and hoping that we've planted enough seeds that it can flourish into a, a beautiful tree or you know a fern a hosta a shrub <laughs> <laughs> it's about planting seeds it re- yeah
0: it's a privilege to hear you speak about essentially the privilege of pedagogy uh, oh. and the privilege of mentorship moving in in uh bi-directional yeah. ways uh that we're learning and they're learning and uh, we get to support that to the best of our abilities um in the moment, and, in the moment that we happen to be in at that particular time and place. hundred
1: percent. And I really, I really do think it's a privilege to build pedagogy, to be in conversation about curriculum, to have students feel safe enough to challenge you. Oh my goodness, is such a beautiful gift because it, it's, it's an offering in some ways. Um, A recognition of the relationality that you have with that human, a reflection of the reciprocity um, that you have with that human, and then the the further gift of reflecting upon your pedagogy based on that question, because the question is saying something is unclear or I don't agree with you on something, which is 100% valid and welcome in my room. And that just allows me to think, <laughs> think and reframe or change. Um, the opportunity to change is a gift, I think.
0: I agree as well. I find that to be a gift as well. Um, I, uh, I, I'm i just loving this conversation. So I want to <laughs> thank you again for <laughs> being with me and, and being so uh, uh, embodied in your imagination and your, your intellect and your heart throughout this. It's an absolute pleasure to spend some time with you. Um, I, I'm struck by this concept that's coming up for me as I'm listening, that we're really kind of talking about the creative process in everything that we do. You know, that uh, not only are you a creative artist in your artistic life and in your artistic career you're also a creative artist in your pedagogy one of the other um, notes that I took (laughs) when I when I was learning from you at the CATR conference in 2021 was you mentioned about pedagogy that um, you center listening in your practice and you said when a professor takes the time to say I see this amazing strength in you whatever that strength may be it is transformative I wonder if you could speak a bit to how you feel about listening and the role that it plays. I think you've done already such a beautifully deep excavation of that concept, but I thought I'd ask directly. And then also the transformative process for students in your class.
1: Well, I mean, the transformative process, I feel like we need a student to answer that. (laughs) season two um in, in terms of of listening i mean we listen in a variety of ways is what i'll start with we listen with our ears which is i think how we generally think about listening but i think we also listen with our eyes and we also listen with our spirits and it like for me listening is about reception So, Mm -hmm. what am I receiving? Deeply, openly, without judgment, without trying to remove my preconception at all times, just what am I receiving? And based on that reception, that openness, that because it's a vulnerable act to listen, to just like really listen and just receive. So often when a student comes to me with a question that I don't know the answer to or don't instinctively have off-the-cuff answer to, I'll say, I'll get back to you. Or I'll ask them, can you talk more about that? You, you start to, they start to unpack your pedagogy. <laughs> uh, which, you know, many of us have spent hours years decades thinking about so it's vulnerable it's vulnerable to hear someone critique the that thing you know that you've spent so long on um I mean another reason I often I'm like can I get back to you on that is so that I'm not coming back defensive (laughs) gives Mm -hmm. me an opportunity to like quite frankly, mourn a little bit. (laughs) Like have a little moment of grief. Like, okay, I didn't do the thing I thought I was doing. Okay. Um, And to, with an open spirit, uh, address what they've, what they've noticed or what they've acknowledged of what they've pointed out to me. Now, often that means I go into research mode because that's my, that's my mode. (laughs) I'm like, down a hole. I must do more reading. I must read. I must be in conversation with people. I must build, build more knowledge, build more knowledge, build more perspectives um, as much as possible. And then I take it, then I take it back, take it back and say, based on your, our beautiful conversation and our dialogue, this was my process. And this is my new offering. What, if you would like to share thoughts on that, you're welcome to. Um, and then I listen again. <laughs> and I receive again. Um, and then we kind of, you know, depending on the person, the human, sometimes it ends there. Sometimes they don't want to give any feedback. And all of that is good and welcome. Um, I just think making space to hear More uh, is a good thing for everybody. And I think, number one, students are not accustomed to being listened to. Which makes me very sad. Mm -hmm. So creating that space to, like, deeply listen. And then they're like, oh, you listened. And you've actually, like, thought about it let alone taking an action based on what I said, Mm -hmm. what? Mm -hmm. That the feedback to me has been that that is, um, in some ways that is the transformation. They start to realize in that moment that they are a colleague, that they are worthy, Mm -hmm. that they are empowered, that they have power, that they can create change. And that is done through the act of listening. I didn't do, mm-hmm. like I did stuff, but it, that's really about just honoring that other human. And I think mm-hmm. that's the transformative piece. I think that's where students gets tra- transformed um, because unfortunately, and I would love for this to change, that is a rare occurrence. The student is the teacher. To me, the student is the teacher. So if the educator is not listening deeply to the student, we are not learning. That's the relationship. <laughs> we learn from the student.
0: And we need that relationship oh. for any learning to occur. No. The relationship has to be there. absolutely,
1: And like but ex- i feel like in a, in the institutions of education i think the teacher teaches you know that's the whole verb <laughs> we teach <laughs> the verb and the noun mm-hmm. you know we are teaching the student but i i think for the teacher the student is actually our teacher have i been clear is it consistent with my values where are the gaps mm-hmm. The only person who can give us that information is the student. So the student is our teacher, literally. Which means we have to listen deeply to our teacher. Especially if we want them to listen to us. Like It's got to be reciprocal. So the more deeply we can listen to them and, in, and, in, and embed their feedback and be changed by it, I think that it just strengthens our relationship with our students and with our pedagogy, ultimately. Thank
0: you to Lisa Karen Cox for agreeing to meet with me to record this episode while she had a cold. We apologize for any sniffles that might have been missed in the sound editing process. The second half of this interview will continue in our next episode. Please join us. If you want to learn more about any of the resources we spoke about in this episode, please check out our show notes on voicingcreativity.com, where you can also email or send us a voice memo with your feedback at podcast at voicingcreativity.com. You can follow us at voicingpodcast on Twitter, and you can tweet about the podcast by using the hashtag voicingcreativitypodcast. Creativity Podcast. You can also rate and review this show at Apple Podcasts. The and Creativity podcast was produced on Treaty One Territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji-Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. The and Creativity podcast is supported by the University of Winnipeg Research Office, the University of Winnipeg Human Research and Ethics Board, and the University of Winnipeg Faculty of Arts and by research assistant Jordan Berkwin. A special thank you to Dave Peterson of Ross River, Dana Territory. The podcast theme song is Beauty is All by Ketza from the album Creative Centre. You can download more of their work on freemusicarchive.org and from their website, ketzamusic.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our other Season 1 episodes. Thank you for listening to the Voicing Creativity Podcast.